0: So I'm Chris and this is my wife Carly and today we're going to share a little bit about uh, why we volunteer in student ministries here at Overlay.
1: What I have found over these last couple years is um, just being consistent with this same group. They have opened up in ways that um, I'm so proud of them and um, to be able to have the honor to step into a role into their life that God allows me to speak into their life and the fact that they're receptive to it. Yeah.
0: Um, so I would say another highlight for me has been uh, just recently at Houseboats a couple weeks ago um, through a morning session and share time and um, kind of storytelling about my life experience uh, and growing up in my faith journey. Then to have another student um, talk with their leader and say, wow, I didn't, I didn't actually believe that God was real or this that he existed, uh, but hearing that story and how it aligns with my parents and their story and where they came from, um, like he has to be real, like this has to be real.
1: It's truly been a blessing and we feel like Student Ministries is like our small group in a way, um, because we're doing life with these people, with these young people, with these other leaders, with other pastors, um, they feel like family. and. We're very thankful for for student ministries and for the impact that it has had on our entire family.
0: I was hesitant to jump in and start volunteering. Um, it made it easier that my wife was already already uh, in there and, and working with with the kids. Um, but what I would say is, uh, just do it. You need to, we need more leaders. We especially need more guys. Um, we we love young leaders, uh, but we need even older leaders. You don't have to be. In college to be a youth leader Um, we're definitely beyond the college age Um, but we need more leaders we need more guys Um, with four kids club sports kids being active in our family uh, lots of work travel we still find a way to do it Um, anyone can do it even if you're not there every Sunday every Wednesday just just do it stop making excuses and do it jump in
2: Good morning. My name is Neely. I'm one of the pastors here. I work with students. I love the Averys, and I love Chris. He just calls it as it is. Just do it. Stop making excuses. Whenever Chris tells me to do something, he's so serious. I feel a little bit afraid inside, so I always do it. And then then he says, I'm proud of you. And I feel like, wow, he's proud of me. Chris is proud of me. So, hey, jump in and student ministries. Chris will be proud of you. Um, I'm so glad that we're here, I love this. I love that we get to be all together, like kids, teenagers, adults, all in one place. It's kind of a beautiful thing. This idea that this church is made up of so many generations coming together, being together. And I think a lot of times we tend to focus on how different we are, right? The different music we listen to, or the different ways we listen to music, or the video games we play. Um, How many of you grew up playing Pong on the Atari? Yeah, that was a stellar game, right? Or what about Duck Hunt on the Nintendo, the original Nintendo? Well, there's this game now called Fortnite. Yeah. It is the game that has changed all things, all things. I mean, it is crazy. It is, I, I try to talk to students about Fortnite and it's like they're speaking another language to me because I don't know what they're saying. I just do that a lot. Sounds great. Yeah. Uh, Check this out. There is a guy, his name is Ninja. (laughs) Yeah, like makes millions making YouTube videos of him playing Fortnite. Where was that when I was killing it on Pong? You know, I could have been a billionaire by now. Like, look at me move my bar side to side. You know, like it would have been amazing. But we tend to focus on how different we are. But here's the thing, in this room, we come together. We come together because of Jesus. That's what we have in common. And because we belong to Jesus, we belong to each other. So we're family. So this is a big deal to be together. This summer, we've been talking about parables, the stories that Jesus told. We've looked at the story of the Good Samaritan, the prodigal son, the good father, the banquet feast. And today I want to look at two really short parables that are side by side. The parable of the mustard seed and the parable of yeast. And I've always wondered, like, why did Jesus tell so many stories? Why was he always telling stories? Luckily for me, Matthew, uh, he answered that question. He said this in Matthew 13. Jesus always used stories and illustrations like these when speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using parables. This fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet. I will speak to you in parables. I will explain things hidden since the creation of the world. I love this. Jesus was this master storyteller. He was interesting. He wasn't boring. He drew crowds telling stories. And that was a beautiful thing about him. But it was also a fulfillment, a reminder. This is the one we're waiting for. This is who Jesus is. He's the Messiah, the one promised. But parables are telling us a truth, a cr- Uh, That's been true since the creation of the world. Here's the deal. They're not new things about God. They're not new things about God's kingdom. They're how it's always been. He's just making them simple for us to understand. So this isn't God changing or God's kingdom changing. It's literally us getting to understand it. And he's making it clear to the listeners. And the listeners of that day, they were so different. that It was a wide range of listeners all the time. So as we look at a parable, and the ones we're going to look at today, we'll ask ourselves, what would the original listeners hear? What was standing out to them? What was the truth that was being revealed to those who were listening? So let's dive into our first parable. It's found in Luke 13. It says this. Then Jesus said, what is the kingdom of God like? How can I illustrate it? It's like a tiny mustard seed that a man planted in a garden. It grows and becomes a tree and the bird makes nests in its branches. I do just want to pause right here to let you know that um, Pat and I actually argued about who got to tell this parable um, because it has birds in it, and he loves birds so much. Um, So he thought he deserved it. Pat's like the little brother I never wanted, you know? (laughs) Do you have one of those? So I did what every good older sister did, and I won the argument, so that's why we're here today. It goes on in Luke, it says, he also said... What else is the kingdom of God like? It is like a yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. Pretty short and sweet to the point. These parables aren't really elaborate stories. Actually quite the opposite. Very few characters, very few details. Actually kind of more statements than they are stories. But before we dig in, I think there's some, a couple of big ideas we should get, but I want to unpack this kingdom of God idea. A lot of theologians, when they unpack this statement, kingdom of God, what they're saying is the rule and reign of God. Wherever God rules and reigns, that's the kingdom of God. So for example, in heaven, God is ruling and reigning. That is the kingdom of God. If you've invited Jesus into your life and you've invited him to be the king, you are part of the kingdom of God. When Jesus stepped into, onto earth, he brought kingdom of heaven, rule and reign to earth. And every time we see God's rule and his way and his reign here on earth, we're seeing the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's not fully come here yet. So a lot of times we say God's rule and reign is now, we are experiencing it now, but there's also those that is yet to come. So that's the kingdom of God. So let's dive in. What are these big ideas about the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is about small beginnings and big endings. That's your first fill-in. It's a mustard seed. It's the smallest of seeds. It becomes a tree for birds of all kind to build their nests. It's a small amount of yeast worked through the entire batch of bread. What What would have stood out to listeners? First of all, small beginnings. The the first listeners, they were waiting for their Messiah to come, for their kingdom to come. And they would not have expected it to be small. They were waiting for something huge, something massive to come and happen. Can you relate? Have you ever prayed that God would show up? That God would work in your life? And what you're looking for is huge and massive Because I think if we were honest with each other, we have a hard time with small and insignificant. In our culture, that feels often like failure, right? Small feels like failure. Yet everything about Jesus, everything about the way of Jesus, about the kingdom of heaven is upside down. It's always been subversive to culture. The first will be last, the greatest will be the servant. It's better to give than to receive. To save your life, you must lose it. It's always upside down. Always opposite of what we're prone to do. So we shouldn't be surprised to learn that the kingdom of God starts insignificant. Small, right? A baby born in a manger to a poor girl would become a world that would be transformed into a whole new earth, a whole new heaven. Small beginnings, big endings. But to the original listeners, this would have been shocking. Those waiting for the kingdom of God, specifically the Israelites. The Israelites were waiting for their Messiah. And if they were listening and they were waiting for someone to tell a story about a plant that would represent their kingdom, it would be the cedar trees of Lebanon. It would be something massive and strong. But instead, Jesus says, hmm, how can I illustrate it? It's the smallest of seeds, it's the mustard seed. And here's the thing, is a good little farmer would never put a mustard seed in their garden. It it wasn't illegal, it wasn't against the law, but it was like planting a blackberry bush in the middle of your sweet little city urban planner. You wouldn't do it, it wouldn't make sense, you would understand that was chaos, that was a mess, it would be frowned upon. So the original listeners, they're shocked. They're taken back. Wait, wait, wait. What you're you saying is the kingdom of God is like the mustard seed that becomes a pain bush. It's not the cedar trees of Lebanon. Are you kidding me? Similar yeast. Think about this. In the Jewish tradition, we talk, there's a lot about taking yeast out of bread. There's a whole tradition around the Passover of withholding yeast. And here it is. Jesus says. Well, let me tell you about the kingdom of heaven. It's like this forbidden ingredient that you're going to put just a small about amount in and it's going to fill the whole batch. Wait, I thought you told us to be careful with yeast. I thought you told us to withhold it. But here Jesus is saying, no, the kingdom of God is like that. The listeners wouldn't know what to do. They'd be, wait, I'm so confused. The kingdom of God is nothing like I expected. It's small. It's insignificant. It's something we wouldn't expect. But it will transform the whole world. Imagine how shocked you'd be as a listener. And while this parable doesn't tell us how or when or why by or which means the, the kingdom of God will prevail, it does say it will prevail. What these, these do tell us is that it's small, insignificant, but it eventually impacts the whole world. The next big idea, the next villain, is the kingdom of God invites the nobodies and the everybody's to play a part. A farmer and a woman, just average, everyday, nothing special people. Often we imagine that God's great work in this world will happen because people with power, position, titles, money will use all of that to bring God's kingdom here. But Jesus says, no, it's a farmer, it's a woman making bread. But should this be surprising to us, when Jesus came to the earth, he picked 12 ragamuffins to be his followers, to build his kingdom. Think about all the people he could have chosen to say, you, 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 you'll be my people. We'll build this empire. Instead, he goes after tax collectors, fishermen, always the nobodies and the everybody's. That's the way of Jesus. The kingdom of heaven comes to earth through those the world would label their nobodies. And the good news for us He comes through those who are the everybody's who will say yes. The farmer and the woman, they remind me of people here at Overlake. For example, they remind me of Zandi. She's a stay-at-home mom of three. She goes on a trip with the Serve the World, and she experiences the crisis of the refugees. She sees it. She sees the traumatic impact it has on the kids. And she wants to find a way to create space for them to play because she knows that play is good for trauma, and play is also a means to reach people who are unreachable. So she decides to partner with Ambassador Soccer Camp, and they run soccer camps all over. They've run them here in Redmond. They've run them in the inner city of Compton. And she partners with them to run a camp exclusively for refugee kids. So starting tomorrow in Auburn, f- over 50 kids are going to come together, they're going to play soccer, they're going to learn about Jesus, because Zandi says, I can play a part. I can be in everybody in God's kingdom. Right. Or it reminds me of Kira. In June, Kira is a sixth grader, a sixth grader in our middle school ministry. She attends a one-day wage event on a Saturday with her mom, learns all about the refugee crisis. Five days later, she puts it into action, what she learns, and she sets up a popsicle and ice cream stand on the last day of school, and she raises $500 for refugees. This little sixth grade girl gave her $500 to a campaign that raised over $132,000 for refugees a sixth-grade girl, and everybody saying yes to being part of the kingdom. Or it reminds me of Claire, a high schooler in our ministry. Last year, Claire and her mom attended a country music concert in Vegas. Midway through the concert, a gunman started shooting into the crowd, killing 58 and injuring over 800. Mayhem broke out. Claire and her mom began to run. Tracy, Claire's mom, had said she wanted to stop running, to rest, but Claire kept her running, fighting for her life until they made it to safety in an airport hangar. A couple weeks after the shooting, I sat with Claire and she talked about her fears, her questions, her doubts, all understandable for someone who had just endured that. But what she says to me at the end of our conversation is what blew me away. She looks at me and she says, because I lived, I have to make my life count. I have to do something to change this world. And it's been a privilege to get to watch her already put her story into action. And to the average eye, one might see a small, young, powerless, fragile little girl who needs protection. But the parable reminds us it is the small and even the powerless that will bring the kingdom of heaven. That those we don't expect will do things we can't even begin to imagine. That's the kingdom of God. The farmer and the woman in this parable, they remind us it's not the powerful, it's not the White House, it's not Wall Street, it's not Pentagons, it's the nobodies and the everybody's who say, Yes, I can play a part in the kingdom of God. So, what's required of us? How do we respond to this? A book that's really helped me over the years understand parables is called The Poet, the Peasant, and Through the Peasant's Eyes. And it's written by this man who's an expert in the cultural and literacy of the parables. So he talks about the poetry and the poems of the parables, and he talks about the Middle Eastern culture and the peasants that would have heard the stories. And he unpacks it and helps us understand a little bit deeper what these parables mean. He has six rules that you follow when you read a parable, and I won't share all six with you, but I will share one. It says this, he says, you have to determine the single decision, single response the original audience is pressed to make when they hear the parable. So knowing what was the original response, what did Jesus want them to do with what they heard? For example, the Good Samaritan, right? Jesus tells the story and then he asks the question, who's the neighbor? He wants them to make that decision. Who Who is the neighbor? Or with the prodigal son, Jesus doesn't finish the story, right? He leaves leaves us not knowing what does the older brother do because he wants the listener to wrestle with what would I do? What's my response in this scenario? Well, this parable is a little unique, right? They don't really give us an understanding of what does Jesus want from us. Unless you back up a little bit, unless you go back a little bit. Because in Luke 13, prior to Jesus telling these parables, something happens. So I want to read that, and then we'll unpack that. It says this. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her, and instantly she could stand up straight. How she praised God. But the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. There are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. I just want to pause right here, which I think is really interesting. This leader is clearly afraid of Jesus, right? Because he doesn't come after Jesus for healing. Who does he go after? The sick, the poor, the woman. He says, listen, you can come any day to get healed. Don't come today. I think it's so interesting. Already we're beginning to see maybe what Jesus is going to go after here. But it goes on. But the Lord replied, you hypocrites, each of you works on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it out for water? This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released even so on the Sabbath? This shamed his enemies, but all the people rejoiced at the wonderful things he did. See, Jesus breaks the Sabbath rule. He heals a sick woman. It's just a small little act. I mean, Jesus could have done anything. He could have healed everybody in that moment, but he heals one woman on a a forbidden day of working. To the sick, to the tired, to the average person, Jesus was good news. He didn't let the rules hold him back. He saw something he could do, and they, he did it, and they rejoiced. Jesus heals the woman, and then he tells the listeners, hey, this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. It's small and maybe even forbidden like the mustard seed or the yeast or healing on the Sabbath, but it will change everything. See, I think the stories are invitation to look to see the kingdom of God, to look and do and be part of the kingdom. I think he wanted the listeners to say, you can be a part, you can see the kingdom of God. And so what actions does it move us to? It's the first one. It's, it's to look for small signs of God's kingdom. Look for small signs. Jesus healed a woman. Heaven meets earth when that happens. A small sign of the kingdom coming near. But in doing so, let's be clear, Jesus breaks a religious rule. He heals someone on the Sabbath. In God's kingdom, it's gonna take us by surprise, it's gonna shock us, it's gonna be unexpected. But we have to be paying attention. Because it's on the move, God's kingdom is on the move, we just have to be paying attention. What are those small signs? It's a shared meal with enemies. Enemies finding reconciliation. It's people being set free from addiction. It's neighbors making sure other neighbors have food to eat and don't get evicted from their home. It's a woman having housing when she's pregnant and being taught to raise her baby, find work, and be supported as she finds permanent housing. It's a lonely, often bullied kid finding a friend in middle school. It's a high schooler deciding that no one sits alone at lunch. It's watching a group of 6th grade boys walk up to their adult leader and ask for prayer because they're going through something difficult at school. It's glimpses of God's kingdom. It's small signs. It's the way of Jesus transforming lives and communities, slowly, small, and if we don't look for it, we miss it. See, and I think this is important because I think some of us are suffering. We're so discouraged and we're feeling hopeless because we look around and everything seems messy and dark. And these small signs are what give us hope, but we have to be looking for them. It's easy to wake up and be discouraged, just turn on the TV and you feel overwhelmed and maybe depressed, but you have to look because God is on the move. I believe that God's kingdom is on the move, but when we're looking for big and massive, we might miss that it's something small, that it's something small, and here's the hope, is that it prevails that maybe we don't see it all now, maybe we don't know how it all comes, but we do know a whole new heaven and a whole new earth are coming. But it starts small. So we put our hope in a God who is always moving. So if this morning you're feeling discouraged, I want to encourage you maybe to shift your view, change your perspective. Stop looking for something big and start looking for the small insignificant signs of the kingdom here on earth. So we watch. We watch for God's rule on earth but we, we also do and that's the second thing is do something small to participate in God's kingdom. We should ask every one of us what is something small that I can do? When we understand that God's kingdom is heaven meeting earth we ask the question how do I participate in it? I can't solve all the world's problems. And We can either let that truth paralyze us or we can allow it to move us into action. This parable reminds us that the God we follow tells a story about a kingdom where he reigns, that the mustard seed, the smallest seed, is the one that changes everything. We put our trust in a God who takes little, small, insignificant actions and turns them into the kingdom of God here on earth. He does the transforming. We do our small thing. Mother Teresa said it this way, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. There are small things that each of us can do. It doesn't matter what kind of resources you have, every one of us can do a small thing. I can't end world hunger, but I can share a meal with someone. I can't end the orphan crisis, and maybe I don't even have the ability to adopt, but I can impact a kid in my community I can't solve the drug problem in the world, but I can mentor a student. I can love them. I can walk with them. I can make sure they understand that they have the option to choose a life without drugs and addiction. There's comfort in knowing that what's required isn't what we have to, isn't massive. It's not grandiose. I don't have to do something huge. We're invited to do small things with great love. See the kingdom in work. Don't sit back, jump in be a part of his work in this world. During the school year, we run a midweek program in SM where adults of all ages show up to hang out with teenagers. And every week, I see God's kingdom at work in this world. I feel kind of emotional talking about it because I wish I could say every leader's name, every volunteer's name, and I wish they could stand, and I wish you could go crazy for them because they hang out with teenagers, and they get to experience, and I've heard our students' stories. It's not an easy place to show up, but I know how important it is, how vital it is to have an adult in their life, outside of a parent, telling them how loved they are, pointing them to a God that calls them. How, for many students, it will change the course of their life. For some, though, like, it seems insignificant. Like, have you ever hung out with a group of 7th grade boys? There's a lot of things we talk about with 7th grade boys. It's the range of conversation. And trying to find a way to weave in the truth that God loves them in the middle of the conversation is a bit tricky. But it matters. We lead a group of ninth grade girls and all the energy and all the things that happen in there. But right in the middle of it, you're trying to tell them you matter. And who you are, God wants to invite you into his kingdom. See, and some of us might say, man, it's an hour and a half every week. What a waste of time and resources. We don't even know if they're hearing what you say. But the power of the mustard seed is that we have hope that the kingdom of God, it comes in small ways, but it brings big endings. Who knows what small gift of time or care will do to change the course of life of those students? Who knows what this next generation of students will do? Man, I believe in them. I have seen them. I have been so inspired by our middle schooler and high schoolers. Man, they see what the kingdom of God's potential is, and they jump in, they don't hold back, they get right in there. In fact, often I find myself saying, man, we should let the students lead. They're not afraid to do it. And maybe it's because deep down I do believe in small beginnings and big endings. And that's the good news, is that's how the kingdom of God works. It starts with small and it's going to end big, and there's going to be a whole new world, a whole new heaven, and we get to play a part in that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for inviting us into your work, your kingdom here. Thank you for allowing us to participate. That It doesn't require us to be rich or have a title. Or it just requires us to say yes, to say yes to being a part And you'll take our little action. You'll take our little obedience. And you'll bring your kingdom here. God, give us eyes to see it so we can celebrate it. We can live with hope in a world that is hopeless. Help us to see your kingdom at work. In Jesus' name.